Well, good morning. Good to see you. If we could, for one second, let's thank God for Levi Brennan and all of the worship team members. Amen? Amen. They work very hard every week. It's not easy in a cracker, back, cracker box gym uh, to get things to sound well. And they work very hard. Thank you, Levi. All of the worship team members. So cool to hear a mandolin when you praise the Lord, isn't it? There'll be lots of mandolins in heaven, I can tell you that much. I know that for sure. Man, well, praise God. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. Some people call him Nehemiah. So uh, he was a short man. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. I've been preaching through the book of Nehemiah. That's what we typically do here in this church family is uh, pray about different books, grab different books of the Bible, and preach our way through those books. That's what I'm doing here in the book of Nehemiah. We're now in chapter 3. We're actually going to read the entire chapter here in just a second. Let's pray before we, we start here. Well, Lord, we just thank you uh, for every opportunity to open your word, and we just ask for your blessing here. We just acknowledge that uh, we have nothing. We need you in every way, Father God. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You are sovereign over all things. You are are patient. You are kind. You are loving. You are gentle. You are self-controlled. You do have a furious love for your people. Rescue your people out of darkness, bring them to Christ, bring them into uh, your glorious kingdom of light. You're good in every way, and we believe that you work through the preaching of your word to save souls and to edify those who have already been saved. So we look to you now, Lord God. I have nothing. I have five loaves and two fish in my hands, and I ask that you would, you would break it, bless it, and distribute it. For our eternal good, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Before, uh, let me set, up, uh, set this up just a bit here. Before this man Nehemiah was ever born, the Jews, because of their sins against God, were taken into exile in Babylon, which later became Persia. Uh, Seventy years later, however, uh, King Cyrus of Persia wrote a decree that the Jews could return to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, at this point in the book, he has just arrived in Jerusalem with this last wave of exiles who would ultimately go to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem, among other reasons, to build the city walls there, which the Babylonians had destroyed some 150 years before this. And Nehemiah is going going to rebuild those walls. In the passage right before this, Nehemiah, under the cover of night, he snuck out with a few other men and he secretly inspected those devastated walls around the city of Jerusalem. He then publicly rallied the people, saying, let us rise and build. And the people then strengthened their hands for that good work to rebuild the walls. That's where we are now. And what we now find here in chapter 3 is essentially just a long list of names. (laughs) A list of the people who built those 
walls. Derek Thomas says that this chapter here looks like something that belongs in the appendix at the back of a book, just name after name. And a lot of people, when they run into lists like in this in the Bible, they just kind of skip right over those lists. Uh, who likes to read appendices, right? Uh, I, I think some of you probably like to sit around and read things like dictionaries, but most human beings don't. <laughs> they don't don't want to read appendices. They skip over lists like this. Uh, I know some of you in your Bible reading just move on to the next chapter. Some pastors even skip these lists. Uh, Charles Swindoll, in his otherwise pretty helpful book on Nehemiah called Hand Me Another Brick, he skipped this entire chapter. But I would encourage you not to skip over the lists of names in the Bible. Because here's the thing. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. All Scripture. Every word of Scripture, every name in Scripture has been breathed out by an eternal God for some reason, and it has been breathed out to profit us when it is opened up to us by the Holy Spirit. And you know, when you take your time with this list here, you begin to to see some things. So, we are going to trust today that God has put this in the Bible for our good. And we will honor God this morning by reading it and trust that God will help us to profit from it. And if you are here this morning wondering whether we are committed to the Word of God or not, I would hope that this would seal the deal in your hearts. If you are not committed to the word, you do not preach on passages like this. You only do that if you are committed to the word of God, and we are. So let's read it now. A list of the people who built the wall of Jerusalem, Nehemiah 3.1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baanah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joyada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besediah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moronathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Oziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. 
Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, repaired, opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of pa- Pathab Moab repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to, the, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hazeh, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, a different Nehemiah, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Ahashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kila repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hinadad, ruler of half the district of Kila. Next to him, Azer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired. Another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired. Another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Pali, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Awful, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Awful. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate of the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And all the people of God said, Amen! Praise God! (laughs) Praise God we made it through that. Uh, Man, Levi said earlier this week, wow, that passage just preaches itself, doesn't it? (laughs) Really, I mean, honestly, you just read it, mic drop and sit down. What more can you say when you go through something like that? It's pretty much all there, isn't it? Uh, just just a little side note here before we kind of get going. If you ever do need to read publicly a, a list of 
biblical names like that, Greek and Hebrew, you will occasionally have to do those things maybe. I did learn in seminary a very simple, uh, very important linguistic trick uh, that can help you to get through it. My Hebrew professor very helpfully taught us, just read them fast and act like you know what you're doing. And uh, that typically works, so just file that away, no extra charge for for that tip there. Uh, I won't go over all that in detail, or I truly would uh, bore you to, to tears, but I do want to point out a few things there, and, and we'll then see if we can pull some application from that chapter. Nehemiah names the builders there, and you just stop for a second, hear all these names, just pause and picture it. You can, you can picture these people here uh, just spread out around this, this one to two mile circumference of water. Wall. Uh, parts of the old wall were probably still standing, uh, but most of the old wall was probably in shambles on the ground. The people around the wall either standing in the rubble working or standing up on ladders or structures, maybe leaning against the parts of the wall that were still standing, tools in hand all around this city, trowels and picks and, and the, the sounds of hammer on stone and and saws cutting through uh, huge wooden beams and the noise of people calling out to one another as they work side by side here on this uh, wall over uh, an over 20 foot high massive wall. Nehemiah names 41 different groups of builders there who worked on uh, the different sections of the wall. Nehemiah had probably organized the teams. It was an amazing work of administration, uh, delegating and, and supervising. Nehemiah, you could just picture him, I think, probably traveling constantly here from one section to the other, giving instructions and encouraging the people and helping Helping with the labor. And Nehemiah lists the 41 groups here in a counterclockwise direction, starting with the northern part of the city wall and moving counterclockwise around the entire city. I'll just point out a couple things here. The first group of builders there in verse 1, I believe they are pretty significant here. Eliashib, the high priest at the time, and the other priest. This is a building project here. This is not the type of place where you would typically see priests laboring, and yet there they are, sleeves rolled up, tools in their hands, working on the northern wall on the sheep gate, which was right near the temple, called the sheep gate because that was where they brought the sheep in for, sacrif- the sheep in for sacrifices in the temple. And then down there in verse 5, you see the Tekoites. They're actually mentioned a couple times in this chapter, verse 5 and verse 27, building on different sections of the wall. So the Tekoites, whoever they were, definitely did their part here on this wall. But you'll see in verse 5 that the nobles of the Tekoites would not 
work, wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord, Nehemiah says, either meaning that these nobles refused to serve their heavenly Lord God by building, they wouldn't do it, or they simply refused to serve their earthly Lord, Nehemiah, regardless, they wouldn't build. Maybe thought it was beneath them for some reason, or maybe uh, were miffed at Nehemiah for some reason and, and wouldn't build here. And then Nehemiah mentions there in verse 8 some goldsmiths and, and perfume makers who built on this wall, uh, just like the priests also, uh, maybe not the types of people you'd expect to see building a wall, uh, but they did here, working together it seems, goldsmiths, perfumers, uh, many people worked with their family members around the wall, but these guys seem to work with other people from their profession, uh, union men of some sort, guild members here, build together. Uh, The goldsmiths and perfumers had a vested interest in this wall here. They they wanted something to protect their gold and and perfume. You know, you and I, when we want to protect our valuables, we now have home security systems and and motion sensing cameras, and these guys had a wall. So, man, they hop up on the wall to build it, protect their valuables. And it wasn't just men who built on this wall. If you look in verse 12, you see Shalom built with his with his daughters. And I know that uh, I sit and think about this. My three daughters would love to have done something like that. Mess with daddy's tools. They're always trying to get in daddy's tools. Uh, climb up on ladders. Get dirty. But women back then did not do construction. And, and I think the fact that these women are here probably shows how important this wall was to these people. Even the women kind of don their hard hats and and get up on the wall to build. In verse 16, middle of the chapter and beyond, as Nehemiah is now kind of describing the, the, the southern, the wall around the southern tip of the city and then up the eastern side by the Kidron Valley, uh, the location of the wall that Nehemiah describes here, it seems to deviate a little from the original wall. Nehemiah's wall was built higher up on the hillside, closer to Jerusalem. Uh, the old wall was built lower down into the valley. Uh, and it was probably impossible possible at this time to rebuild that old wall. The eastern side was where the Babylonians had actually attacked the city. The rubble there was so great now that in the previous chapter, Nehemiah said his animal couldn't even pass through that area. So most scholars believe that rather than trying to dig up all that rubble, he chose to build higher up on uh, the hillside there. In verse 23 then, from there to the end, As you head toward the northern side of the city, you see a bunch of groups building right by their own homes. You you keep hearing the phrase, they they built opposite their house, or he he built beside his own house. Uh, Building right beside your own house definitely would have uh, cut down on your commute every day. (laughs) Just walk outside your front door and go to work. It would have allowed for um, some nice lunches at home with the kids, uh, things like that. And you know what, it also probably made for some really good work 
on those parts of the wall. If you knew that your enemies, your mortal enemies, could come crashing through the wall right into your living room, you probably wouldn't just throw up a cheap wall, some shoddy construction here. You would build that thing sturdy, man, to protect your home. And in the last verse there, you again see the goldsmiths now working with other merchants, preparing the final section of the wall that connected back to the sheep gate where the priests were working in verse 1. And Nehemiah has given us now a counterclockwise record of the men and women who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They are not done yet here at this point in the book. But they are now working very hard and they will ultimately finish this wall in a miraculous 52 days. And you look at that passage there and you think, how in the world do you apply (laughs) that passage? What lessons can we draw out of this long appendix of names right there? Well, here's, here's a very simple application, I think. Pregnant ladies, you might find a good baby name right there. Uh, Meshezebel, <laughs> Shalom. Uh, those names have a really good ring to them. So consider some names right there. It's another Levi Brennan joke. So you can thank him for that one. In all honesty though, when you think about this right here, we have to remember something about Nehemiah, this builder. Nehemiah was a foreshadowing. He was a small picture of someone who would come after him. 400 years after this building project here, an infinitely better builder would suddenly appear on this earth. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God in human flesh, Jesus would live, He would die, He would rise again to pay the penalty for our sins. And you may not know this about Jesus, but Jesus is a builder. And Jesus is building right now. And do you know what Jesus is building right now? Well, He's building His church. Jesus is now building what Hebrews 12 calls the heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. And Jesus, on the basis of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ is now building his church, the heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem. He is right now building the people of God. Jesus Christ is right now expanding his church, bringing more and more unbelievers into his spiritual church family. And Jesus Christ is also strengthening his church, maturing those believers who are already inside of his church family. Jesus Christ is right now building his church. Jesus is the much better Nehemiah. Nehemiah built an earthly Jerusalem here with brick and mortar. But Jesus Christ builds the heavenly Jerusalem with people. Every single person who comes to Christ in faith and begins to follow Christ in faith, well, that person becomes another precious stone in the heavenly Jerusalem, another precious stone in Jesus Christ's glorious church family. (laughs) 
Pink Floyd once said, all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. And you know what? Pink Floyd was saying something very depressing there, I'm sure, because everything Pink Floyd ever said was depressing. But when you think about it, that is really not a bad statement for believers, because every single Christian really is another brick in the wall, not in a Pink Floyd depressing way, but in a Jesus Christ glorious way. When you truly come to Jesus Christ in faith, Jesus Christ, the master builder, he brings you into his family. He loves you. He has forgiven you of all of your sin. He will never, ever not love you. He will never love you anymore based on anything you do or don't do. He loves you. You are in his family. And Jesus also places you as another precious and deeply loved stone, another precious brick in the wall, in this beautiful structure called the heavenly Jerusalem, the church, the people of God. Nehemiah was a foreshadowing, a small picture of a much better, infinitely better builder to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we remember that about Nehemiah, and when we begin to read lists like this here in this chapter through Christ-centered lenses, thinking about Christ building his church, all of a sudden you can see some very simple God-centered applications, I believe. I've got five quick Christ-centered applications for you this morning. Five things I think we can say from this passage here about Christ and this church that he is building. And the first thing that we can say here, I believe, number one is this, Jesus calls every single believer to build with him. Jesus Christ calls every single believer to build with him. Nehemiah, you look at this man here in this book. Here he goes to help rebuild these city walls, man. This guy was definitely the chief builder. I mean, he prayed for the wall, planned for the wall. He asked the king for, king for supplies for the wall. He, he organized, he supervised, he, he labored. But here's the thing. Nehemiah did not build alone. No, Nehemiah called every single person there in Jerusalem to build with him. Nehemiah did the heavy lifting for sure. But he called everyone from all different walks of life to build this wall with him. And that's how it goes with Jesus Christ and his church. Jesus is the chief builder in his church. Yes, he is. Jesus did not say, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. And he does. Jesus is the chief builder. He does all the heavy lifting for sure. But please listen to me here. Jesus Christ does not build alone. Jesus could build alone, but Jesus has ordained that he would not build alone, that he would not build his church all by himself. No, he has ordained that he would work through his people to build his glorious church. Jesus called every true believer here in this room to build with him. 
If you're a Christian here today, you've truly turned from your sin and repentance. You are now trusting in Christ in faith. You're clinging to Christ in faith. Well, you're now part of this heavenly Jerusalem. Man, you are another brick in the wall of this glorious church. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't call you to himself and then tell you to sit there and do nothing. No, J.I. Packer says that Jesus calls you to himself and he calls you to task. Jesus has built you into his church and Jesus now calls you to build with him for his church. Matthew 28, Jesus tells us to make disciples. Jesus calls all of us to build his church, calls all of us to work, to to expand his church by bringing more unbelievers in and also to strengthen his church by maturing other believers. And that building of the church that Jesus wants all of us to do, that building takes labor. It takes labor on our part. There's no other way to do it. You look at this picture here with Nehemiah. These people here, they worked hard. Blood, sweat, and tears to erect these walls. And Jesus now wants us to work hard with Him. Ephesians 4, we are called to do the work of the ministry. Colossians 1, Paul toiled and struggled to present people mature in Christ Jesus. Jesus wants all of us to labor to build His church. And man, the the sad truth is that many believers will never really do that. They just won't. Never really labor to build Christ's church. Many believers will talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but not really roll up the sleeves and get to work to do it. Like the nobles of the Tekoites, The nobles of the Tekoites here, they would not build for some reason with Nehemiah. It was either beneath them to build, they had excuses why they couldn't build, or they were mad at Nehemiah. We we don't know, but that same stuff happens today with people in the church. Just, Just don't build. Lazy or distracted or suspicious or weighed down with cares of life or just passive consumers within the church family. Charles Spurgeon said that in a lot of churches, 20% of the people pull the plow while 80% sit on the plow. And Jim Boyce, he was looking at this passage with the nobles here with the Tekoites, and he walked away from that and he said there are always some turkeys in the bunch. Jim Boyce said that the church in America now is kind of like a football stadium. You have 22 players on the field who desperately need a rest and 80,000 spectators in the stands who desperately need to get up and move. But that's not the way Christ designed His church to function. That's not the way Jesus designed it to function. Jesus has called 100% of His people to build with Him. Paul Tripp Calls that the every person, every day model of Christian ministry. All hands on deck. And I think that's one very clear application from this passage about Christ and this church He's building. Jesus calls every believer to build with Him. And a second thing here I believe. Jesus calls 
every believer to build alongside of other believers. You know, this building project here in Nehemiah, and you look at it, it's all these different people working side by side, section by section, yoked up together, laboring together, a group effort, a cooperative effort, the people of God working together to build this earthly Jerusalem, and that's how the heavenly Jerusalem is also built. The people of God working together to expand and to strengthen the church of Jesus. You know, when Matthew, uh, or I'm sorry, when Jesus told his original disciples in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, that's a plural command (laughs) in the Greek. He was saying to his disciples, you plural, go and make disciples. Or as they say down south, y'all go and make disciples. He was Expecting his disciples to go and, and do that together. That was his intent. That, that's one of the reasons why Jesus always sent them out in groups of two or more. So they could make disciples together. Je- Jesus doesn't intend for us to go it alone. Try to make disciples all by ourselves. Try to build his church all by ourselves in isolation from other believers. That's the American way. An independent Christianity in America, that's how it works because we're independent and isolated with everything we do, right? And we carry that into our Christianity, just me and my personal Jesus. Get out of my face. Let me do whatever the heck I want to do. Solo. But Jesus intends for believers to build together side by side. Philippians 1.27, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Striving side by side to build the church. Striving side by side to expand the church. Bring unbelievers in to strengthen the church. Maturing, maturing other believers. You know, some of you, you will probably watch the Super Bowl today. Uh, I will. <laughs> and you can like it or not, I will be rooting for the Patriots. <laughs> Unlike most of the people in America today, Brady and Belichick. <laughs> I told you last week that we've always taken our, our family vacation in Cape Cod, New England. My father is from Boston. Go Patriots. And, and listen, when, when, you, when you become... A believer. You may not know this, but Jesus has now placed you on a sort of football team. He, he has placed you in a group of people called the Universal Church. He has placed you in a very specific group of people called the local church. That, that's your team. And Jesus intends that like a football team, we would work together. We would strive side by side, sweating together to make disciples, striving together to to move 
the ball forward, inch by inch, person by person. The Christian life is not tennis, (laughs) where you go it alone. It's not golf, where you go it alone. It's more like football, where you build alongside, right beside other believers in a local church family. If this is your local church family, if this is your local church family, ask the Lord to show you your place here in this local church family. I encourage you to consider joining a life group, whatever it might be for you. Ask the Lord to show you your place. Yoke arms with the other believers here and begin to fight. Begin to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, making disciples of unbelievers and believers. Jesus calls every believer to work alongside other believers. A third thing I think we can probably say from this passage about Christ and this church he's building. Jesus has gifted every believer uniquely. Jesus has gifted every builder very uniquely. You look at this building project around Jerusalem right here. Man, you, you, you look at it, all kinds of different people here laboring together. Even men and women. You got priests and Levites. You got rulers and common people. You got gatekeepers and guards, farmers and goldsmiths, perfume makers, merchants, temple servants. And you know, if you look at that list right there, you hardly find any people who would have been formally trained to build walls. None of them formally trained construction workers. And yet they are building on this wall. (laughs) And all of these different people, all coming from different families, coming from different vocations, all these people, I'm sure, bringing something very unique to this building project. You just think about it. You, you probably had these big picture get-her-done types here. <laughs> Maybe the soldiers or the farmers, man. Get out of my way. Just, just moving ahead. Stone upon stone. Got a job to do here. And then you have these more finely skilled people who are coming in behind them like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the, the detail people, the goldsmiths, and the, the perfume makers, and the artisans. They're making sure the corners are square. It has some sort of aesthetic beauty to it. Uh, you think of the goldsmiths probably adding a little bit of bling to this thing every, every once in a while to, to, to beautify it. A, a unity of focus here. Every single person working toward the same goal to build this wall, and yet incredible diversity, all kinds of different people building this wall. Different gifts, different skills, different abilities placed in different areas around this wall, and that's Jesus and his church. There it is. There it is, a a tiny foretaste of Jesus building his church. Jesus has called all of us 
to build, to, to expand and, and strengthen his church. He's given us a unity of focus to work together to, to make disciples. And yet Jesus has gifted us with incredible diversity, all kinds of different gifts, skills, abilities, all of us called to play very different roles in this building project. And you know what? Jesus Christ has formally trained very few people for this work of the ministry. He has formally trained very, very few. And yet he calls everybody with all the different gifts, the many diverse gifts, to work together to build a unity of focus and yet an incredible diversity within his body. Romans 12.4, if you throw that on the screen, says this. The Apostle Paul, thinking of this one body, many gifts, he says, For as in one body we have many members, And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Or Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's God's design. You can see it there with these temple walls in the book of Nehemiah. A unity of focus, one body, all working on the same thing to build, and yet a diversity of gifts, the same as with the church of Jesus. One focus to build, to advance, to spread, and yet many different gifts and roles. Think of a football team again. The players work together. They work together with a common goal to inch the ball forward, and yet each one of the players plays a very different role. Quarterbacks pass the ball, (laughs) receivers catch the ball, running backs run the ball, and the beef eaters in the trenches (laughs) do the grunt work, the hand-to-hand combat to inch the ball forward and That is a decent picture of the church. We are a team of people all driving in the same direction by the grace of God with a common goal to make disciples and build the church inch by inch, person by person. But every member on the team plays a different role, different gifts and callings, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, Teachers, exhortation, service, generosity, leadership, mercy, and on and on and on. And every last one of those gifts, 
those skills, those God-breathed callings are necessary, critical for every local church, including this one. And man, think about the diverse gifts in, in the church. You know the cool thing about Jesus? Well, one of a zillion. Is, is the gifts in the body that might receive less honor from people, some of the less noticeable gifts, will those gifts receive more honor from Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. <laughs> you love the way Jesus works. You get a lot of honor here on this earth. Okay, I'm still going to give you some honor, but you get no honor on this earth. I'm going to load you up with honor, man. I'll make it up to you. And again, you can take that silly illustration of a football team and just apply it right there. The quarterback typically receives lots of honor for throwing the football. And the beef eaters on the line who make the quarterback great, well, they typically get no honor <laughs> at all. The kicker definitely gets no honor. He only gets booze <laughs> when he shanks it. Blair Walsh. Uh, but in the church, Jesus flips the honor on its head. He flips it on its head. The gifts that receive less honor from other people, well, they receive greater honor from Christ. How has Christ gifted you? Because he has. If you truly trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in your heart, he has gifted you. How has he gifted you? What has he called you to do? What has he called you to do here in this body? We need you. Your gift is beautiful. It is oh so necessary. And we need you in this body. Maybe you're good at things like just building relationships with, with unbelievers. You just have a knack for that, like my wife. Uh, maybe maybe you're, 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 you're called to start new works. Maybe you're called kind of an apostolic bent to go out and start things. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're called to, to, to lead a life group. Maybe you're called to pastor. Maybe you're called to run the barbecue at your, at your life group. Maybe to run the grill at your life group and barbecue. Maybe you're called to teach, called to encourage, called to motivate, called to serve. Maybe you're called to do things behind closed doors that no one will ever, ever see and, and, and never applaud. Maybe that's you. What, where's your gift? What's God calling you to do? It doesn't matter, man. Ask God to show you place in this church family. Ask God to help you. Bring your gifts to the table for the good of the body. We need your gifts. That's number three. Jesus gifted every single builder uniquely. A fourth thing we can say here, I believe, about Christ and this church that he's building. Jesus calls a lot of his builders to work right outside their front door. Jesus calls a lot of his builders to work right outside their front door. You know, the entire second half of this passage here, you just keep running into that, that phrase there. Building by his home. <laughs> building right there. All these people building right beside their homes. Didn't travel to the other side of the city uh, to build the walls. It just worked where they lived. 
And man, that's how it often goes with Christ and his church. Jesus calls some people to move across the country to make disciples. He calls other people to move around the world to build his church. But you know what? He calls most people to build right here. Right where you live, work, and play. That's where he calls you to to build. In your home. In your local church. In your neighborhood. In your place of employment. You know, it's not just the overseas missionaries who are sent by Jesus. We are all sent. Every believer is. And most believers are sent right into their own spheres of influence. Bloom where you're planted, right? (laughs) Bloom where you're planted. Jesus has sovereignly planted you in a particular neighborhood, in a particular home with a particular family. He's planted you in a particular local church, in a particular place of employment. He's planted you in a particular exercise gym. He chose that for you. And look around. Look around. Who's there? Who are the believers that God has placed around you? How can you work to mature those believers? Who are the unbelievers God has placed around you? How can you work to believe to bring those unbelievers to Christ? Look around. Jesus calls a lot of his builders to work right outside their front door. Isn't that great? You don't have to move to Uganda. Man, that is so cool, isn't it? You can work right here. A fifth and final thing, I believe, that we can say from this passage about Christ and his church he's building. And listen, this I believe, it may be the most important take home from this entire passage. Here it is. Jesus Christ remembers every single builder. Jesus Christ remembers Every single builder. You know what? This list of names here in Nehemiah, (laughs) it might seem a little boring to you and me, but please hear me. This list is not boring to the God of this universe at all. No, the people who labored on this wall here God remembers every single person. God made sure that every single name would be recorded in Scripture for all eternity. (laughs) Do you realize that millions of people have now read those names there? I read those names every year when I go through the Bible. Struggle through those names every single year. The people who worked on this wall here, God remembers every single person. He remembers every single thing they contributed to this wall. He remembers every last bit of the blood, sweat, and tears that each and every person shed here to build this earthly Jerusalem. And that's how it goes with Jesus and His heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers. Listen. Every person here 
If you right now have a genuine, living, breathing faith in Christ, you are now trusting in and following Christ, you are clinging to Christ with a genuine faith, please hear this, Jesus remembers you. Jesus Christ knows your name. He knows you. Jesus Christ loves you deeply. Every last part of you, even the ugliest, most defiling parts of you, Jesus even loves those. Jesus loves all of you, and he died for all of you. You are his, and he remembers you. He remembers your name. And please hear me, Jesus Christ has recorded your name. Revelation 17 says that Jesus, before the foundation of the world, before you were ever born, Jesus recorded every single believer's name in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus remembers your name. And here's here's the thing. Jesus also remembers your labor. Jesus Christ remembers your labor. Every last bit of work you do in this life. Every single effort you put forth to make disciples, doesn't matter how big or small it seems to you. Everything you do, every contribution you make, every word of encouragement you speak to other believers in the name of Christ, every word of truth you speak to other people, in the name of Christ. Every offense you overlook, every, every prayer you pray for unbelievers, every effort you make to disciple your kids, every time you lay down your life for your spouse or your neighbor, every time you teach, every sermon or children's devotion that you prepare, every time you share the gospel, whether you did well or not, every time you give out some sort of gospel-centered book, every time you forgive another person in the name of Christ, every time you you love another person in the name of Christ every single time you exhort or comfort or rebuke or correct or, or, or feed or defend or edify another person in the name of Jesus Christ. Every single hammer stroke you make on his heavenly Jerusalem, every last bit of blood, sweat, and tears you shed in an effort to expand and strengthen his church, Jesus Christ remembers it. He sees it, he remembers it, and he records it. Pleased with you. Pleased with you. Every every bit of it. He doesn't just record your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He records every single good work you perform to build his church. And here's the thing, Jesus will also reward you. He says that he will, and he will reward generously. (laughs) Jesus says every, even a cup of water that you give out in his name, you will not lose your reward. Man, Jesus, he sees it. Every last bit of effort to build his church. He loves it. He records it. He remembers it. He rewards it. May that 
And may that right there, think about that, the kindness and the generosity of Jesus. Man, may that right there stir us up to build. May the kindness, the steadfast love, the generosity of Christ stir us up to labor with one another, to expand and strengthen His church. And the days are short. This life is a vapor. It's time to rise and build. May God help us to do it. He will remember. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, even in the list of names, Lord God, that you can fill our hearts. Pray, Father, whatever was of you this morning, you just drill it into our hearts. Whatever came from me, from my flesh or my own mind, Lord, you just cause it to fall away. Thank you, Father. You've given us the privilege of working with your son Jesus to build his church. And Father, you're the only one who can stir us up by the Spirit to do it. To build this unified focus, much diversity, laboring hard with Christ. Laboring hard with joy, knowing that he remembers everything and will reward generously. Lord God, will you stir us up to build for your glory and our eternal joy. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.